Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our morning sessions at Reach Conference 2021 with evangelist David Deeker Hernandez and a message about finding your spiritual gift. Enjoy this message. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? Beautiful presence of the Lord here. Beautiful presence. Okay, please quietly take your seats now. I'm going to minister a teaching this morning. Thank you, Reuben. Hey, Reuben, come here. Can we all hear it from Mr. Reuben Vargas? Always a big help to me, man. And Steve, good to see you. Wonderful message by mindfulness. And Vanessa, I don't know if you knew this, but we're broadcasting to Encounter TV this morning. So a lot of our people remember you from the live stream. We had, by the way, we had so much feedback from the live stream that you did with us and people really enjoyed it. So mindfulness, watch it. It's a rising star, that brand, I'm telling you. No, I'm serious. You're probably super uncomfortable with this right now, but God is raising you. And I don't think you've even begun to scratch the surface of the influence he's going to bring to your ministry. How many know we ought to celebrate when God begins to raise people? And I'm telling you, I think, I think there's, there's, there, there's more than I think you even realize on the horizon. And I know, that's what I was saying when I started. I said, Lord, no, no, no. But, but they say new levels, new devils. There's no devil that can walk on your level when you're living in the presence of God. So I know God's going to do some incredible things. And um, I understand it was a powerful service last night by Pastor Eddie Vargas and a wonderful, wonderful word. Um, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit soft-spoken today um, because after several days of preaching, I found that my voice is kind of growing weak and we still got lots more to film later in the week, broadcast and all that. So do forgive me if I am a little bit um, more calm this morning. I have to steward the voice God gave me. Um, You know, there's the supernatural and there's the practical. And so we're doing the practical. And I want to teach you this morning on how to discover and activate your spiritual gift. So go with me now, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Before I begin, though, I do also want to make sure I take a moment to honor Pastor Omar Lopez, our president, the president of Reach Network. Pastor Omar, thank you for this opportunity. And... um, I, I don't, is that, I don't know, I don't know, I can't really see everyone, but uh, I'm just making sure I'm not missing anyone. Okay, we're good. First Corinthians 12. How many of you want God to reveal and sharpen your spiritual gift? Let me see your hand. Okay. The spiritual gifts we have to recognize first and foremost are for service, not for status. 
God never gives you a spiritual gift to puff you up. God never gives you a spiritual gift to cause you to be platformed. Remember this, whenever God raises a man or a woman, it's never about raising that man or woman. When God calls a man or a woman, it's never about your call. It's never about your elevation. It's never about your promotion. It's never about your favor. When God begins to promote and elevate a man or a woman of God, he's doing so to elevate his message, his gospel. What need is there of the spiritual gifts in eternity? Why do I need to be able to prophesy the future if I live in eternity himself? Why would I need to lay hands on the sick if there is no sickness in heaven? Why would I need to be able to discern spirits if in heaven there is only one spirit? So then the spiritual gifts are not for the then and the there. They're for the here and the now. They're to be used in conjunction with kingdom advancement. With the perpetrating of the gospel. It is always about the kingdom advancement. The gospel advancement. And the empowering of the church. Now spiritual gifts don't get too excited. Are actually technically by definition superpowers. They're super in that they're above your ability. And they're powers in that they are abilities. Super powers. Supernatural empowerment. Now, I'm not going to be able to get into detail on every spiritual gift because I want to talk more on how to discover and activate it. But I do want to give at least a short survey on some of the things that we can look at concerning the spiritual gifts. But let's go first to 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation for those of you who will ask later. The New Living Translation, I think, is a great combination between readability and accuracy. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 to begin. Paul writes, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities that the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Paul write this as an introduction to the spiritual gifts? It's because the Corinthians were wicked people. There was a phrase in the ancient world that they used to say, and they would say, oh, to live like a Corinthian. And that phrase, to live like a Corinthian, is like our modern day, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Wickedness to live like a Corinthian was to be promiscuous. It was to be a worshiper of a myriad of idols. It was to practice sorcery. It was to be sinful and violent and given to your desires, debauchery and partying and a lifestyle of just 
a complete lack of self-control. But the Corinthian people were obsessed with the supernatural, much like what Vanessa was talking about this morning. We have a culture that's obsessed with the supernatural, manifesting things. Why? Because in that mindset, when you remove the foundation or the absolute who is Christ, you get lost in the weird, bizarre, and dangerous world of the demonic. And so this is what the Corinthians were like. They had several gods who they worshipped. Gods who told them the future. Gods who had healing powers. Gods who could give them influence and riches. And they worshipped in this way and they were practicers of sorcery. And so Paul tells them concerning the spiritual gifts, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Because they would have so easily confused the power of the Holy Spirit for the power of the demonic or their idols. Much like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 who saw that the apostles were laying hands on people and those people were receiving the Holy Spirit. And in that, he saw what he wanted, power. He wanted a good thing, but he desired it for the wrong reasons. He wanted the power of the Holy Spirit But he desired the power of the Holy Spirit for selfish gain. And so Paul didn't want the Corinthians to make the same mistake. To desire the power of the Holy Spirit that it might be added to their list of abilities. That it might be taken into their own culture and twisted and perverted in their own Corinthian way. So he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he goes on to tell us how, how to discern. What is of the enemy and what is of the Holy Spirit? Let's read verse 3 again. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this leads to the common cliche that if someone is demon-possessed, they can't use the phrase, Jesus is Lord. But that's not what Paul is saying here. But Paul, Paul is not saying that if someone is not of God, that they can't pronounce those words. Because how many know there are several hypocrites who can say Jesus is Lord? In fact, we read of that in Matthew chapter 7, where people are shocked to discover that God never had anything to do with them. Bible says in one version, they strut up to me on that day, confident they're getting in. And they're shocked when he says, I never knew you. You know what the Lord tells them? I love the way the message translation puts it. He says, I never knew you. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. Terrifying verse. But Paul is trying to get us to distinguish between that fake form of power and it is I shouldn't use that terminology because it is real but that demonic form of power that worldly because there is some psychology involved in some of these these movements and he says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit and no one who has the Holy Spirit would say Jesus is cursed now 
Again, he's not saying they can't say those phrases because people say those kinds of phrases all the time and they blend right in to us. What he's saying is that their message is Jesus is Lord. He's telling us that the gifts of the Spirit will ultimately point to Jesus. If you have all gifts but no glory, all power but no presence, you are in danger. Going to a place where there is no glorification of Jesus is dangerous. You're putting your call at risk. You're putting the anointing that God placed on your life at risk, not for removal, but for contamination. The Holy Spirit produces the anointing in our lives. We have been given the task of protecting that. Not allowing anything to pollute what we carry. Not allowing the world to affect us. I don't know if you've ever been in a service where it was all miracles but no message. Where it was about how accurate the prophet was. Where it was about how powerful the miracles were and not one mention of Jesus. That is not gospel preaching, people of God. That's charismatic witchcraft. Because the moment you remove Jesus, who is the foundation from the spiritual gifts, you might as well just be a psychic, not a prophet. You might as well go practice the Eastern religions and their healing practices because that's not a true healing gift. All spiritual gifts will ultimately always point to Jesus. Verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts. Now before I read this, I want you to, to this is kind of cool. So watch this. Look at the next three verses. See if you can spot a pattern. Check this out. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does all the work in us. Now, did you see it? Spirit, Lord, God, Holy Spirit, Son, Father. That's a mention of the Trinity right there. Now, why is he mentioning the Trinity? It's because he goes on to write first in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 about love and unity. The spiritual gifts that you carry were decided upon in eternity past by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together, had a meeting concerning you, and decided what gifts you would carry. That's why the scripture says that the gifts and the callings are without repentance. He doesn't remove those from you. Because whatever the Trinity decides in unity cannot be undone. Trinity, tri-unity, it's the unity of the three coming together. And it's in our unity that not only do we find our gift with that unity in God, but our gifts work best when we're in unity with each other. Spiritual gifts, as I said, are for service, not for status. And the problem is that some people use their spiritual gifts for competition instead of completion of the kingdom. You are not competing 
with other ministries. I mean, think about this. Over 150,000 people pass into eternity a day. And that's an old statistic. It's likely more now. Why, why, why would we ever feel a sting of jealousy when God is raising someone? Why would we ever want another ministry to not do as well when there's a world that's dying and going to hell and needs the gospel? It's, it's unity. It's, it's love for one another. And I understand there are different styles and there's different things that we assume about different people. But you know what? Everyone is a work in progress. And so we can unite as the body of Christ to use our gifts in conjunction. Pastor Omar, remember you used to bring uh, two guys down. And I have to just, is, is that Billy Hall, Pastor Billy Hall? I can't tell from the light. Okay, then let me, Pastor Billy, I want to honor you. I, you were looking down when I looked up, you were looking down at your Bible. But I wanted to make sure, I thought that was you, so I wanted to stop and honor you. Um, but but you, remember, you would bring Steve Romine and Harry Hills. Now, some of you don't remember Steve Romine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Steve Romine was, had one of the biggest impacts on my life of almost anyone. He was a man with the healing ministry and he had MS and he was in a wheelchair. So from his wheelchair, he'd lay hands on the sick. I was with him on his deathbed. He was praying in tongues, guys. It was like he was looking past us and looking to something else, and he was praying in tongues. And I remember, Pastor Mar, you would bring him in, and he operated in the word of knowledge and the gift of healing. And then there was another gentleman named Harry Hills. And <laughs> I pulled a prank on Harry Hills. I won't get into detail, but he did literally smack me across the face. I deserved it. <laughs> I don't even know if I should say what the prank was, but what? I guess, okay, well, we are live around the world, so... What's the worst that could happen? He, he was justified, by the way. And, and it was, he's old school. That's when you could... Today, you can't even yell at your kids without being accused of child abuse. And, but, but anyway, so, so... Boy, I'm just digging a deep hole here. Let me get to it. Um, I, I brought like a, a newborn to him. And I said, Pastor Harry, can you pray for me? And his accent, he goes, why? I said, I need you to just pray for the baby. He can't talk or walk. He starts praying and halfway realizes, of course, babies can't talk or walk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said, don't you ever do something like that again. <laughs> Needless to say, it's, it's, I think it's safe to say that Harry Hills was quite intense. And I remember looking at the two different ways they operated, right? So Harry Hill's very intense. Steve Romine, funny as can be. I mean, he, he pulled pranks on me to where I would just like turn red in public places. And um, it was, yeah, I remember it was, he was just a prankster himself. And I remember watching the two different personalities, but the same gift sets. And I saw that and I said, and you brought them together. You brought them what? Like months, like a month apart from each other. And I saw Steve Romine, who would work the altars, and as people were worshiping, he would hang his cane on their arm. Yeah, that's what he would do. This one lady, I remember she's in a leather jacket, he's giving words of knowledge, he goes, you, biker chick. 
that's how he was. He just, and nobody said anything because he was in a wheelchair. <laughs> and he knew that he could get away with more because of that. Um, so I remember looking and I saw Steve Romine. And I thought, wow, here's a guy who's just funny, carefree. And then I would look at Harry Hills. I go, here's a guy who's intense and passionate. I thought, God can use Steve Romine. God can use Harry Heels. I'm sure God can use me. Now, I remember Steve Romine had a conversation with Harry Heels. And because they kind of worked, and I hate to word it this way, but because they worked the same circuit of churches, they would go preach in the same places. Uh, Pastor Steve went to Pastor Harry, and he, I remember this, he told him, he says, hey, I don't want you to think that I'm in any way trying to impede on your ministry. I don't want, he was very, you know, gracious about it, humble about it. He said, I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to take over what you're doing or trying to compete with you. And he just came to him. He just didn't want there to be any misunderstandings between them. I remember Pastor Harry said, oh, no, we're on the same team. And I remember seeing that and thinking, okay, there are enough sick people to where if God gave everyone a healing gift, we'd still need more. There are enough unsaved people to have God made everyone an evangelist. We'd still need more. There are enough people in any given city that if you had a church on every street corner, we'd still need more. Look at Starbucks. There's always a line. And so the gifts are not to be a point of competition. We're to be united in the gifts. In fact... In fact, I see the different ways they work together. I had Vanessa Bresenio on the broadcast because she has a strong gift for teaching on both the spiritual and the practical elements of mental health. I couldn't cover that, so I had to bring her in. That gift made up for it. I remember I was preaching um, a revival with my friend, Prophet Robert Sanchez, who's a very accurate prophet. I test them out sometimes. I'll take them to the mall. I go, what about this guy? What about that guy? <laughs> but he, he's with me. And I remember I'm praying for this woman. She's, she has her, 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 her walker. And I'm praying. And I just know there's something blocking this healing. Something she's not saying. And I said, Prophet Rob, there's, a, there, there's something there. I can't put my finger on it. He starts to prophesy. And as he's prophesying over her, whatever wall she had up, started to come down. And as that wall started to come down, I could sense that healing anointing starting to activate. And then I laid my hands on her. I felt no blockage whatsoever. The prophetic cleared the emotional blockage and the physical healing manifested. She put that walker down and she began to run for the first time in years. What was that? It was the cooperation of the gifts. We need all the gifts. Otherwise, God would have just not sent some of them. So, the gifts, as I said, are for service, not for status. Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Now, not only does this give us insight into the overall purpose of the gifts, but it gives us insight into the nature of the spiritual gifts. Every spiritual gift we're about to list is others-centered. Okay? And I'm going to cover that in just a moment. Remember that. So 1 Corinthians 12, 7. That's a very key verse. 
It's for service, not for status, and it's others-centered. I'm going to show you why that matters here as we now go through the, the different gifts to the body of Christ. So, there are what we call leadership gifts. Now, these are not listed in 1 Corinthians 12, but they still are gifts from Christ to his church. Ephesians 4.11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Now, full disclosure, there are some who believe that pastors and teachers is actually one gift. The pastor and teacher, which is why it uh, structures it that way. I do see somewhat of a difference between the two, and there is a teaching gift. So even if it's not necessarily one of the fivefold, the teaching gift is still a very real thing, and it's biblical. Number one, apostle. These days, I think it's pretty easy to become an apostle because you can just go take like a Facebook quiz and there's your, there's your credentials right there. All kidding aside, it is sad to see how we've sort of mistreated some of these offices and people who are more into titles than they are into helping have made it this way. And it's just a reality we have to deal with. But an apostle, let me just say, is not someone who has a business card that says apostle on it. An apostle isn't just someone at the top of a Ponzi scheme who's the pastor of pastors of pastors of pastors. They've turned the church into almost this social network marketing and it's perverse. No, an apostle quite simply is a sent one. And an apostle... Biblically speaking, is someone who God uses to break the gospel through to new regions, to new people groups, or by new means. An apostle is someone who God uses to break the gospel through to new regions, to new people groups, or by new means. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, the people group. There were different apostles. Thomas was an apostle to India, if you follow the history. He broke the gospel through to a new people group. And not just nations, but cultures. Apostles to different subcultures, different regions. And so an apostle, by the very nature of what they do, becomes a pastor of pastors because they're constantly establishing new works. But an apostle isn't just a pastor of pastors. You get what I mean? Number two, it's the prophet. Now, the office of the prophet is different than the gift of prophecy. Ephesians 4.11, the prophet is different than 1 Corinthians 12, prophecy. The primary difference between the two is authority and influence. The prophet is positioned as a church leader, much like Um, a deacon or a bishop, someone who's in the church body, who serves as an overseer, who helps to lead God's people. Someone with the gift of prophecy is someone who can relay messages from God, but doesn't necessarily have that leadership position that has been given to them through the laying on of hands of church authority. Number three is the evangelist. The evangelist is not just a traveling preacher. You can travel and preach and be a traveling teacher. 
But you can also travel and preach and be a traveling evangelist. An evangelist just so happens to travel because it's in our nature to just want to go get the souls. I want to go get the souls. I want to go get the souls. So an evangelist, by the nature of what they do, is someone who travels. But an evangelist is someone who is graced by God to declare the gospel in such a way that the heart of the sinner is open. This doesn't mean that not every believer can do this. Every believer should evangelize. But there are different areas of emphasis and grace in every person's life. And it takes humility to recognize that I can't prophesy like Prophet Rob Sanchez. I can't lead leaders like Pastor Omar, like Billy Hall, like Pastor Eddie Vargas. Maybe not yet. Not my assignment for this season. This assignment, I'm an evangelist. You understand what I'm saying? This is an area of specific grace. Then there is the pastor. The scripture says, and this is the instructions to the Ephesian pastors in the book of Acts chapter 20 verse 28. So guard yourselves and God's people. Instructions to pastors. Guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you, over which, say over, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you. I want to park it here for a little bit because... In, in, at least in my generation, there is this notion that there are no levels to the anointing and that systems are all bad and structure is all bad. But can you name me anything that God has ever done that didn't require a system? Created a universe with the solar systems and we live in a solar system, in an ecosystem with physical bodies that have systems that help us to function from the macro to the micro. Everything from beginning to end in this world has a system and the church is a system. I, I love Jesus, but I'm not into organized religion. What are you into? Disorganized religion? Are you into chaotic religion? When people say that, what they really mean is I don't want anyone telling me what to do. That's the bottom line. Now, we understand that it's not for control, but for guidance. But God does give us spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to what? Watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefit. Then there is the teacher. The teacher is someone who's been gifted to take complex truths of the scripture and give them to you in a way that are simple and easy to understand. A good teacher will take what is complex and make it simple. A bad teacher will do just the opposite. They'll take something super simple and they'll make it super complex. A good teacher is not trying to impress you. They're trying to impart to you. A good teacher doesn't leave you saying, wow, look at how brilliant they are. They cause you to leave feeling brilliant yourself. They say the same thing about a good writer. A good writer isn't going to try to make the reader go, wow, this writer is brilliant. A good writer is going to try to make the reader feel brilliant because they understand all the concepts. And that's what a teacher does. Next, there are the service gifts. Now, the service gifts, I think, get a bad reputation because, and I'll give it to you in a moment. I put together a spiritual gifts test online and... I'll tell you the order that people take them in. And Tim Lay, when he was creating, he already called it. He said, this is how it's going to be. The power gifts, 80% of the people take that one. Because we have three tests. Power gifts, service gifts, leadership gifts. And then another 15% take the leadership gifts test. 
and then 5% take the service gifts test and half of them don't even finish it. Why? Because everyone wants power. Nobody wants to serve. Now, I hesitate to even categorize it like that, the service gifts. Because biblically speaking, all the gifts, as we read, are for service. But when I say service gifts, I'm talking about those practical things that we do that we overlook that we don't even recognize are supernatural. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about the service gifts. And I want you to see how it's more than just a natural ability. Because I think we can confuse it for that sometimes. So the service gifts, the, gifts, the gift of encouragement, Romans 12.8. The gift of giving, also Romans 12.8. The gift of leadership, also Romans 12.8. The gift of service, Romans 12.7. The gift of administration or helps, that's 1 Corinthians 12.28. Now watch. The gift of encouragement, you think, I can encourage people without it being a gift. And it's true. There are people in the world who are very encouraging. To encourage someone doesn't necessarily take supernatural ability. But watch this now. This is powerful. Imagine... Having the gift of encouragement to where you go in and you go talk to someone who did the counseling, who did the prayer line, who read the books, who fasted, and who still feels just this heaviness in them. Imagine being able to walk in that room. And take with you that supernatural ability to break off the heaviness that counseling could not. To break off the heaviness that reading the book could not. To break off the heaviness that all other methods failed in doing. That's the gift of encouragement. I can go to someone who's being cynical. Who's being negative. Who's been caught up in themselves. Who can't shake that feeling of discouragement. And you go in with the gift of encouragement and break that up. Tell me. Does that not sound like it's on the level of the gift of healing? Does that not sound like it's on the level of the gift of discernment? Because discernment I can go in and say... Yeah, that's demonic. And then I leave and nothing happens. <laughs> but when I have the gift of encouragement, I can do something about it. That's the power of that gift. <clears throat> now, the same is true. Apply that same line of reasoning I gave you for the gift of encouragement and apply it to the gift of giving. Anyone can give, but imagine having the supernatural flow of God's giving. Anyone can lead. But imagine having the Holy Spirit lead through you. Anyone can serve. But imagine being so gifted by the... See, you walk into a church and you see all the things that need to be done. And you, you, you have this desire to help. You may think that that's just you being you. But it's, is it possible that that's a spiritual gift of serving? To where the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and causes you to see a need that needs to be filled and not only shows you the need but empowers you with this desire to get it done what a powerful powerful gift this is gift of administration i'll tell you our ministry exploded 
And I, I say that because it's God's ministry. And I don't say that to bring any attention to it, but, but our, our, our ministry exploded when we put someone in with the gift of administration. You all know Isaiah. Isaiah Lopez. He'll keep you organized. He told me the only, <laughs> he told me the only way I'll write the, the big checks is if you know that you know that God told you to do it. Keeps the money in. Keeps it organized. When we put him in with that mind of his on the financial side, we began to flourish. It was the first hire we ever made. The first person we ever brought on staff. And it caused things to explode. That is an ability from God to organize and to cause things to fall into place. Now the power gifts. Are you receiving this? The power gifts. The gift of prophecy. Prophecy is foresight. Specifically. The gift of prophecy is the gift of foresight. That's found in 1 Corinthians 12.10. The gift of discernment, same verse, is the distinguishing between spirits. Now let me just park it here for a second and make it absolutely clear that the gift of discernment is not the gift of criticism. It's not the gift of cynicism. All too often, people try to pass off their own emotions, preferences, and misgivings as the Holy Spirit. My brother-in-law was in a hardcore band. Now, I love my brother-in-law, but hardcore wasn't really my scene, as they say. I'm sure you can't picture me doing what they do, dancing. And I would be, I would come out with broken bones and bruises. And, but, you know, I remember going to one of their concerts. And as they're evangelizing through their music, I couldn't tell what they were saying, but everyone else could apparently. They're evangelizing through their music, but it was, it was, it was loud. It was, it was very, very, you could feel it in your body. I remember people got saved. Not only were people getting saved at their concerts, demons were coming out of people. Like people would manifest during the concerts. So I enjoyed what God was doing, but I would enjoy it from like way in the back. And I was cheering them on from, from back there because it frightened me a little. And, <laughs> and so we're leaving and, and there's this woman there just complaining. And she's saying over and over again, oh, this grieved the Holy Spirit. This grieved the Holy Spirit. This grieved the Holy Spirit. And I didn't confront her. It's not much you can do in a situation like that. But all I thought was, the Holy Spirit's not grieved. You are. And I think sometimes we can try to spiritualize our own preferences and call it discernment. There's a friend of mine who I worked, worked with for um, several years trying to get him onto a certain TV program. Because I knew if we can get him on that program, that audience would respond really well to his gift. And that it would help open a lot of doors. So I, would, I kid you not, for maybe two years I was working with the producer saying, you've got to get this guy on. You've got to get this guy on. You've got to get this guy on. He finally gets on. He's on there. I'm watching on, online. They did like a stream of it. So I'm watching, cheering him on. I'm looking at the comments, all positive. And then there's one comment from one person who says, I don't know. Something just doesn't sit right in my spirit about this. And you know what happened? Someone else said, I was going to say the same thing. 
And then someone under that, you know what, me too. And before you know it, there's just a party of discerners. And that's called confirmation bias because there's no ministry or church or anyone that you can find that won't have a group who'll say, you know what, something didn't sit right in my spirit about that. It's not, it's, you're not going to find the group. And they think they're right because they found each other. Oh, you saw it too? Yeah, we're spiritual. We got it. I, I saw, see, I, I, could, I couldn't do it. I couldn't watch them anymore. I couldn't go to that church anymore. I couldn't attend that meeting anymore. Just something just was off. I'm a discerner. And you know, sometimes I find that people get convicted by what you say. And it's their flesh, not their spirit, that's uncomfortable. It happened to me. First time I heard John Morgan. I forgot what he was saying. I thought, no, that's not right. Doesn't even sound spiritual. Years ago. Then I'm, I didn't say anything to anyone because I, I don't do that sort of thing. But I'm driving home and the Holy Spirit tells me, you, you're convicted. I said, no, you're grieved. <laughs> Holy Spirit, no, you're convicted. You're convicted. Repent. See, had, I not, had it not been for the Holy Spirit helping me out there, I would have got home. Well, that preacher just, he doesn't, no, nah, I don't really listen to that guy. Just, something in my spirit didn't sit right. And I would have never made the changes that we would have, would have made that actually ended up helping the ministry. So discernment is not the gift of criticism. Now I'm going to speed this up a little. So here we go. The gift of healing. Some have said the gift of healing is the receiving of healing. It can't be because 1 Corinthians 12, 7, as we discussed, is others centered. So it's to pray for the sick and see them healed. By the way. All the spiritual gifts are still under the authority of the sovereignty of God. So, so this idea that I can just go lay hands on anyone I want, they'll be healed, is not the case. It wasn't even the case with the apostles. There were people who did not get healed. A little wine for the stomach's sake. For Timothy, because he had a stomach problem, why didn't Paul lay hands on him? He probably did. But the sovereignty of God still works even with the spiritual gifts. The word of knowledge. The acquisition of natural information through supernatural means. The word of wisdom, the spirit-empowered ability to see a solution in a difficult circumstance. The gift of faith, not my faith, remember, others-centered. The gift of faith is the ability to stir faith in others. The gift of tongues and tongues interpretation. Now, let me park it here for just a minute or two. There are different expressions of the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12.10, tongues and tongues interpretation, is different than the, the gift of tongues talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2 and 4. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 4 tells us that I'm edified when I pray in tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 10 tells us that when we pray in tongues, it's to edify others. So there's a distinction to be made between the two expressions of the gift. There's a third, no time to get into it. But that gift of tongues is to edify others. Now, when it's used to disrupt an assembly of believers, there needs to be an interpreter. So if I stand up, Start praying in tongues, it stops the worship, it stops the sermon. There has to be an interpretation. Why? Otherwise, there was no need to have stopped. You could have prayed that on your own. Now, the personal prayer language can be used in the corporate body. We know that because the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they all began praying in tongues. Nobody stood up and said, hey, wait a minute, we're not supposed to do this in public, guys. 
Why would the Holy Spirit pour out a gift in public that was meant for private? He wouldn't. The spiritual gifts have order, yes, but keep in mind the different expressions when, when applying that order. Now, some notes for you. The gifts can work together. That's 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts can be requested. It's not evil to desire a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 14.1. The gifts can be imparted or deposited. 2 Timothy 1.6. Keep in mind when someone lays hands on you, the gift is not coming from them, it's coming through them. Only God can give a gift, but we can position ourselves to receive. The gifts can be stirred or activated. 2 Timothy 1.6. The gifts can be strengthened or calibrated. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Now, how do you know if you have a spiritual gift? Let me give you three simple keys. And I sped that up so now I can slow it down again and use the final bit of my time to park it here. The first sign that you have a spiritual gift, number one, is desire. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says... Let love be your highest goal. But you should also, what? Desire the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives. Every spiritual desire that I have comes from the Holy Spirit. Even the desire to pray. Think about what Psalm chapter 80 verse 18 says. Quicken us. And will call unto thee. You can't call unto him until he quickens you. You say, wait, so I can't just pray whenever I want? No, I'm saying the fact that you want to pray is proof that he's calling you to pray. So yeah, you can pray whenever you want, but who put that want in there? It's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us these desires. Why would the flesh want a spiritual gift? Of course, the flesh could desire the praise that it imagines it will receive when operating in a gift. The flesh could desire the gain that comes about as a result of the gift. But only the spirit in you would desire the gift itself and that ability to help others. Now, this, of course, does not mean 100% that because you want a gift that you have it. But it is a indication that it could possibly be a gift. And remember, only the Holy Spirit can reveal that. But here are some ways to pray into what he's speaking to you. Number two, recognition. Proverbs eighteen sixteen says, A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. Very rarely do I find that those who emphasize that they are a prophet are actually a prophet. Very rarely do I find that those who need to make it clear that they have discernment, very rarely do they ever have discernment. And they just can't discern that. <laughs> very rarely does someone need to announce, I have the gift of healing. You don't need to announce it because people get healed. Now, this does not mean that if you're overlooked and people don't recognize your gifts that you don't have it. This simply means that if you do have a spiritual gift, others will begin to recognize it. At some point, you don't have to go announcing your spiritual gifts. You don't have to go. I mean, I see it all the time. People pass out their business cards. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm so-and-so and I have this gift. I'm like, great. Nice to meet you. I'm going to throw this in the trash. 
No, I don't do that. I want to. Only when I sense, you know, you know when I sense that, um, that need to be praised, that need to be desired, that's when I feel just, just like this gross, I, I, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm too busy trying to kill that part in me. I don't want to come around that. You got to keep that. And everyone has that, by the way. So don't pretend you don't. You got to keep it. That's, that's the trouble with the flesh. You can't cast you out of you. The flesh doesn't come and go. The flesh shrinks and grows. And you need to keep it in check. So when you have a spiritual gift, people begin to recognize it. Number three, and this is going to be kind of like, well, you might feel like, well, that's obvious, but, but it is, but it isn't. Number three is function. Do you actually operate in the gift? Now, this may seem obvious, but we don't even realize sometimes that we're functioning in a gift. I've talked to so many people who have this amazing prophetic gift. Like, when did you discover it? They say, well, I knew I had it, you know, you know, X amount of years after I got saved. But when I was a new convert, I had all sorts of experiences with it. You see, the spiritual gifts are deposited by the Holy Spirit in you. And that deposit sometimes spills over into ways you might not even recognize. You may think that you're just really good at reading people. Could it be a gift of discernment? Oh, funniest thing, David, you know, sometimes I'll say something and it happens. I'm like, that's not funny, that's supernatural. <laughs> I had a friend who was able to meet people and he said dates would pop into his head. And so he started saying them out loud. Turns out they were the people's birthdays that he was meeting. Literally, he would shake their hand. He'd go, April 12th. They'd go, how'd you know my birthday? Happened several times. So that's a gift. Of, that's a prophetic gift. More, more specifically, the word of knowledge. You may think you're just good at navigating situations. Could it be the word of wisdom? You may think, oh, I just love serving. Wait a minute. Could it be the gift of service? I just love giving. Could it be the gift of giving? When you begin to recognize that the supernatural is intertwined with our everyday life, then your eyes are open to begin to see the spiritual gift that God's deposited in you. It's possible you're operating in a gift already and you don't even know it. So pay attention to the many ways that God uses you. Now I'm going to show you one more thing. And then, do they have, a, I don't see the altar call time. I see I have six minutes left to preach, but I don't see an altar call time. But I'll assume there is some. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is Paul writing to Timothy. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift. Can you, I just sense the anointing while reading this right now. To fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Watch this now. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either. Now, 
Timothy's gift that Paul is talking about here is likely a teaching preaching gift. Which is why he says to him, never be ashamed. Paul says, stir up that gift. Now we often quote 2 Timothy 5.7 in general in reference to fear. And that's, that's a good application because the biblical principle holds true. But in this specific verse, what Paul is talking about is Timothy's fear to walk in his gift. I'm going to read it again. Watch. That faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I lay hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Okay, so then, what's the key to stirring up the gift? Power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Love. That's others-centered. You know, you know how you'll overcome your fear of practicing the gift of healing? When you stop focusing on yourself and you start looking at the sick. You know how you're going to overcome your fear to prophesy? You're going to look at the person who needs that prophetic word. And the compassion in you is going to say they need it. It's ego. That's why we don't practice our spiritual gifts. Not pride, ego. Looking at self. So Paul says to Timothy, stir up that gift and here's how you're going to do it. Remember, you're not, you're not carrying a spirit of fear. God didn't put in you timidity. He said, he gave you a spirit of power. That comes from the Holy Ghost. Of love. That love, that compassion, because it's others-centered, will stir up that gift in your heart. That love to fill the need, that love for your church, that love for your pastor, that love for your brother and sister, that's what's going to fan that gift into flame. And self-discipline. You have to act. You have to act. Then he goes on to say, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. In other words, Timothy, stir up the gift. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of stirring up your spiritual gift. Here's how you're going to stir up that spiritual gift. Now go use it. Go preach. That was his instruction to Timothy. Why? Because Timothy had a preaching gift, a teaching gift. You have to participate. There's nothing that God will ever do with you in ministry specifically that doesn't require your participation. Whatever strengthens my spirit strengthens my spiritual gifts. So if I want to strengthen my spiritual gifts, I must practice the disciplines of what? People want the keys. David, what's the key? What's the secret? What's the secret? There is no secret. You can't, you can't fill around for prophetic words. They just come to your spirit. You can't work up a miracle. What can you do? That's why it's called a miracle, because we can't do it. It's God. It's participation with Him. So then, to stir up that gift, to, to strengthen that gift, I have to do the basics. People want the little, the little details, right? Well, well, tell me what to do. They want to be told, okay, to activate prophecy. For 20 minutes, just close your eyes and 
concentrate on a golden cross and have your Bible open to the book of Acts chapter 4 and then play this specific song in this specific frequency and then that's going to really activate it. No, it's going to always come back to the basics. What's your prayer life look like? How's your devotion to the word? Why is God going to trust you with prophetic words if you're not even devoted to the written word? Practice holy living. The purity within your life increases the power upon your life. Unity, fellowship with one another, love of the spirit. These very practical things in our everyday life produce supernatural results. That's the power of the spiritual gift. Now, real quick before I pray, I want to give you a little link. I put together a, a, a test for all of you. Total disclaimer here. The test is not conclusive. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you your gift. But go to, I think it's spiritualgifttest.com. Spiritualgifttest, singular, one gift, even though you could have several. Spiritualgifttest.com. We put together something for you if you want to take it. But now, I want to pray with you. And actually, what I want to do is I would love to get the pastors and leaders. Could I get you to come and stand and face the people here, pastors and leaders in the room? Any, if you're a pastor or a leader, come, come and face the people. Now you want a gift stirred in you. What, what did Paul say? It was, it was stirred up. It was deposited through the laying on of hands. And if some of you leaders want to stir up some gifts, you can get in line too. Boy, there are a lot more leaders than I thought. But you're in this place. You want to stir up the gift. And you watching online, you want to stir up the gift. It's time to come to the Lord for it. All of you out there. I want you to come. If you see your leader come, if, if your leader's got a long line, all these leaders are proven, tested, wonderful people of God. Would you come? Come, all of you. Come, come, come. We're going to lay hands on you right now. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.